The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one about whom Moses wrote in the law and also the prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. But Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Here is a true child of Israel. There is no duplicity in him. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Amen, amen, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. First things first, we... Celebrate today, as we said at the beginning of Mass, the feast of the Apostle Bartholomew. And then we're giving a gospel reading about a guy named Nathaniel. And it begs the question of just who are we celebrating today? The Apostle Bartholomew is known in Scripture by two names. Bartholomew, which is found in the lists of the Apostles in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, however, when he lists the apostles, doesn't use the name Bartholomew, but the name Nathaniel. But in every case, he's paired with Philip, who we also hear about in our reading today. And there's a reason for this. Bartholomew is not a proper name in and of itself. There was nobody living at the time of Jesus whose first name was Bartholomew because the word bar means son of. And so the word Bartholomew means literally the son of. And Ptolemy, Bar Ptolemy Bartholomew. His first name was Nathaniel. That's the reason for the confusion. And so in some circles, he was simply referred to, as we hear here, Jesus, the son of Joseph. He was often referred to as Nathaniel, the son of Ptolemy, Bar-Ptolemy, and over time, that became the name by which everybody knew him. That having been said, this man from Cana in Galilee, whom we celebrate today, 
is a man of no small significance, even though in our modern age, most of our faithful know very little about him because what is most important about him is he is one of the 12 apostles. And the dignity of what it is to be an apostle is made beautifully clear in our first reading from the book of Revelation. This mysteriously beautiful vision of the new city of God coming down from heaven and luminous and splendid with the glory of God himself. This is an image of the church. And as the Apostle John contemplates this image of the holy city coming down, he sees that it has gates by which the nations may enter. And those gates bear the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And at first glance, then, we seem to see something of Israel itself descending from heaven. And yet, as the vision continues, we hear that the gates of the city rest upon something. The city is not founded on the 12 tribes of Israel. The city is founded on the 12 apostles. And note how beautiful that is. Historically, we know, first there is Israel of old. First there is Jacob and his 12 sons who become the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. First there is Israel. First there are the promises. First in history there is King David. And later there comes Jesus. And after Jesus are the apostles. And upon the apostles there is the church. That's how things happen in time across history. That is the order of events in time. But what the vision reminds us of is that the church is not founded upon Israel. It is that Israel is founded upon the church. Jesus is not founded upon the prophets, but the prophets and their message stems from what God has already decided to do in Jesus, his son. Jesus is the origin, the center, and the goal of all things. And everything that God does in salvation is founded upon him. And so it is that the new city is founded upon the witness of the apostles to what God has done in Jesus. And everything about Israel of old is at the service of that, is dependent upon that. Its goodness rests in the way it anticipates and points to the one who is the very reason for its existence in the first place. And so note what we have here then. We celebrate one of those great 12 foundation stones upon which the community of the saved the full people of God rests. And so now we turn to this moment where Nathaniel, Bartholomew, receives the call from Christ himself to be one of those stones. 
and it happens in a curious way. His friend Philip, who has already met Jesus, seeks out Nathanael and says, we have found the one. And note what he says. We found the one about whom Moses was talking all along. We found the point of everything that Moses had said. We have found the one to whom the prophets were pointing. We have found the one who is the very meaning of all of the words of the prophets. We have found the one who is in himself the fulfillment and the completion of everything we and Israel of old has been waiting for. And the one who is the foundation, the one who is the completion is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel, hearing this is intrigued and puzzled at the same time. He is intrigued and he's enticed because he has been looking for the coming of the one who has been promised, but he's puzzled because he's not sure what Nazareth has to do with anything. And so the statement is, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? In other words, I didn't realize we were waiting for somebody from there. And as he says that, he indicates that there is something unexpected in the announcement of Philip. On the one hand, Philip says, the one we've been expecting is here. But then he says, but not as we expect it. There's something that goes beyond our expectation. Something that goes beyond what we thought ourselves ready for. And note how beautifully that sums up the essence of the mystery of the person of Jesus. On the one hand, he is that one alone who satisfies all of the deepest, most ancient longings of the human heart. And yet on the other hand, he goes beyond what the heart longs for. He is that one that the heart looks forward to. And yet he is more than we could ever possibly anticipate. We have found him, but not where we thought we were going to. We have found him, but not exactly in the way we were looking for him. Because there is something about him that goes beyond what we knew to expect. He is everything we expected. And so much more than that. And so when Bartholomew asks his question, can that really be the case? Philip's answer is important. Come and see. Know what he doesn't say. Sit here and take a look. And he doesn't say, wait right here and I'll bring him to you. Because the call to Jesus is a call to get up and to move that we may see. In other words, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, cannot be content to be a mere passive spectator. If you want to know him, you must approach him. Because looking at him from a distance will not bring you to know him. 
will not bring you to experience him. And again, note how beautiful and important that is as a spiritual lesson for all of us. Because there is a temptation for us to do exactly that, to sit at a safe distance from the Lord. And I'm not talking the physical distance by which good Catholics sit in the back, but rather that distance of the heart where we like to contemplate the Lord, but from a certain perspective of safety. Because if I get too close, I might be too involved. I might be too invested. I might have to change something I don't feel ready to change. But if I keep a little distance, I can know a bit without risking the demands that knowing more fully place upon me. And so the important statement of Philip to Nathaniel, his friend, is you've got to get up and you've got to come with me. If you want to know, you've got to meet him. And to meet him, you have to move. And so it is that Bartholomew, Nathaniel, moves toward Jesus. And Jesus doesn't even wait for him to get there. Note how beautiful this is. While he is still moving toward him, Jesus speaks to him. There's a certain distance, but the distance is closing. And as the distance closes, the Lord's voice becomes clear in the ear of the one who approaches. And again, note what a lesson that is for us because when we keep ourselves at a safe distance from the Lord, we often wonder why it is we never hear him. And note what we see here. Bartholomew doesn't hear Jesus until he begins to move. And as he moves closer, the Lord speaks. And the voice of the Lord becomes clearer the closer Bartholomew gets until Bartholomew gets close enough that he can speak to Jesus in turn. Because that's the other thing. When we hold ourselves at a distance, there's a certain kind of speaking to the Lord that we can't do, however open and honest that we flatter ourselves that we're being. There's a certain speaking to the Lord that is only truly possible when we dare to draw near him. Because that's the speaking that doesn't begin with me. It's the speaking that is a response to what the Lord is saying to me. And so note who speaks first. It's not Bartholomew. It's Jesus. And Jesus identifies him. He says, here is a true son of Israel, a true Israelite, a man in whom there is no guile. He is not coming to me under false pretenses. He is not coming because he's merely curious. He is not coming because he's pretending to be righteous. He's coming because he honestly is looking for me. He is one who has fixed his hope on what is right, and in that hope he has stepped forward. It's a remarkable statement. Jesus doesn't speak like this about just anybody in sacred scripture. This is one of the most flattering things that Jesus says to anybody. And he says it to the man whose memory we celebrate today.
And it's this, the way the Lord identifies him to himself that gives him pause. Because here he sees that the Lord knows him in a peculiarly clear, even intimate way. And so he rightly asks, how is it? How is it that you know this about me? We've never spoken until now that, as far as I know, how is it that you can see into me and speak with such truth about the reality of who I am? This is the first thing that Bartholomew experiences from Jesus, that Jesus knows the truth of his life, that Jesus knows the truth of his heart, and that Jesus is willing to state it to him, clearly. And as he puzzles over this, the Lord says, oh, even before your friend found you, even before your friend told you about me, I saw you. Just feel the weight of that statement. Feel the weight of that statement. And consider in your own life, even before your parents brought you to the waters of the baptismal font all those years ago, I saw you. Even before you learned what my name was and how to say it, even before anybody taught you that, I saw you. Just feel the weight of those words. I saw you even before you were aware of me. We often think that Jesus only notices us once we begin to pay attention to him. And that is just simply not true. Even before you thought about turning to me, I was already looking at you. You have not been out of my sight. And so the Lord gives that beautifully mysterious statement, I saw you under the fig tree. And on the one hand, that might be where he was sitting when Philip found him. But there's something about it that is more trivial than the Lord pointing out a physical piece of ground where this man was sitting. Because this is a statement that goes back to the very beginning. A statement that a true son of Israel would understand. Because in the garden when Adam and Eve fell and dragged the world down with them, when they left a world in desperate need to be saved because it could not hope to save itself, in their guilt and in their shame and in their fear of the exposure of their nakedness, what did they do? They went to a fig tree. And from the fig tree, they took leaves and made themselves garments to cover that which they were ashamed of. And know what the Lord is saying. As I saw a fallen man helplessly trying to cover his guilt, as I saw a world needing to be saved, I saw you.
I saw you under that tree. And I saw your need to be saved. I saw you under that tree as I was deciding to save that world. And I saw you and the role that you would play. I saw you. Note how complete the seeing of Jesus is. This is not merely, I know what you had for breakfast. This is not, I saw what you did yesterday. That's not the Lord saying, when you were thinking those bad thoughts about the guy down the street, that was me looking over your shoulder and reading your mind. Note how deep the seeing of Jesus is. As I saw the world, I saw you. As I saw man's need for salvation, I saw you. As I saw your need to be saved, I saw you. And that's how long I've been seeing you. Until now, you're here in front of me. Small wonder, then, he responds to Jesus the way he does. You are indeed the Son of God. You are indeed the King of Israel. And at this point, wondrously, the Lord turns and looks at him. And this becomes the essence now of what an apostolic vocation is. You're impressed with that. You're going to see more. That's just our starting point, he says to Bartholomew. This experience of me that you have right now, this is the beginning. This is not the completion of anything. This is the beginning. And from here, you will see greater things than that. And he references now the dream of the great patriarch Jacob, he whose name the Lord changes to Israel. And he says, just as Jacob dreamed of the golden ladder extending from earth to heaven, upon which angels ascended and descended, and awaking from his vision, he said, truly this place is the house of God, the very gate of heaven. Jesus turns to Bartholomew and says, you are going to see the angels, the angels of God, ascending and descending on me. I am that ladder. I am that ladder from which heavenly goodness descends to earth, and from which earth is carried upward. I am that one. I am more than the king of Israel. I am that one. And in seeing this with me, you will come to know where the house of God truly indeed is found, because I am that gate. I am that gate of heaven. And the implication... And you will be part of the foundation of the house of God by which a fallen, sin-ridden, orphaned world will finally find its true home. What a remarkably beautiful statement that is. But you will witness my divine goodness, not merely my human goodness. You will see and know that there is no one more decisive for the salvation of the world than me. You will know me 
and in knowing me and in bearing witness to me, you will be one of those stones upon which the gate that leads to salvation will rest. This is what we celebrate today. This is what we celebrate. We recall Bartholomew's heroism in giving witness. We recall his martyrdom and spilling his blood in witness to the gospel. We recall the effectiveness of his preaching, but we do that by recalling the full beauty of the mission he was given, which is to be one of those foundation stones, and to recognize that such a stone is not a stone founded upon mere testimony, nor looking from a distance, but of one who was called, and one who knows the Lord, but who knows him in the fullness, not just of Israel's hope and expectation, but more fully and more appropriately in the way he goes beyond that. You will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And that is what I call you to. And the witness to which you will give me will flow out of that. When we say that we are an apostolic church, Note how great the witness is that we are founded upon, because that is what those who gave the witness were called to first. You will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Amen.